Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are here today talking about product management in an engineering-focused organization. You're going to hear what our product leaders on the panel think a product engineering-focused organization is. How can you identify whether you're in one? What are some of the joys of working within an engineering-focused organization? And what are the challenges? And this is a conversation that if you're already in an engineering-focused organization, could help you overcome some of the challenges you might be facing. And it also might help you decide where do you want to work. We're not going to talk specifically about any of their current or past employers, but we will give you some generalities that you could think, hmm, do I want to work in an organization like that where those challenges sound fun and rewarding, or do I want to work maybe somewhere else? So that's what all of you could get out of this conversation. If you are in an engineering-focused organization, how can you thrive? And if you're thinking about where your next opportunity might be, or even just taking a long view of your career, you'll learn more about it. So I'm joined usually every single week that I couldn't have this podcast without Samea Benganam. So Samea, really quickly, catch everybody up. Tell us a little bit about yourself, why we should listen to you. And you usually bring some excitement for a topic. So any reason why you're excited about today's conversation? <laughs> All right. What a way to set me up here. Excited again to be here after the little break we took. And in terms of my experience, I started my career after my after school as an engineer, working on a technical side of the house. And then over time, over the past 20 years, I've been firmly in the product management space. Over the past few years, I've been focused on building software for engineers and developers and more technical users. And so this kind of conversation is very applicable and exciting for me. Coming into that kind of role, I had to change my own understanding of what the role required, and I've had to acquire additional skills that I didn't have before. So I think this conversation is going to be interesting to highlight to people who haven't done maybe that transition What does that transition look like? And what are some of the ways that you can grow into a role like that? Love it. Thank you, Samea. And then, Hemant, you're the one that proposed this topic. So I'd love to just hear from you a little bit about your journey in product management. And then what do you hope people get out of today's conversation? Hey, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And, um, you know, uh, Samea had a great uh, intro into into the topic as well. So excited to, to listening to her thoughts and views around this topic. So yeah, the reason I propose this topic, it's it's I'm particularly passionate about it because I started my career out as an engineer as well and then pivoted into product. I've been in product for the last 14 years. So I do have uh, some perspectives around this topic. But before that, a quick background. I've spent about you know, 14 years in product, started out in the financial services industry before moving to energy and then the last eight years, I've been in tech, building and scaling products at companies like Amazon and Meta. I currently am a product leader at Rivian, helping us build electric vehicles, which which aligns closely with my purpose as well. So, yeah, and as far as what the listeners should take away from this conversation, I think, you know, oftentimes in, in the work setting, we have to, as product managers, work very closely with engineers and and sometimes it may seem like we're talking about different things, but ultimately we're all trying to solve user problems. And it looks very different from the lens of an engineer versus the lens of a product manager. So, so I'm hoping the audience can take away how we could align on these topics and then basically just try to identify what creates most valuable impact for the company and for teams. So that's a little bit about me and, and what I hope the uh, listeners take away from this. All right. Thank you, Hemant. And then I have to say, you must be doing something right at Rivian. I am seeing those cars or trucks and SUVs everywhere. They are taking over Seattle. It is unbelievable. It's like the, I don't know how there's so much money in this city, but everybody seems to have a Rivian. So something's going right over there. Gabe, tell us a little bit about your journey in product. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me, Samaya and Hemant. Thank you for uh, joining me here and for the invite. A little bit about myself, I have kind of a 15-year career 
that spanned initially engineering, but also has also spent time in sales, product marketing, and then back in the tail end in product development, product management. So interesting multidisciplinary career, and I've got to see all different facets of the product development lifecycle. So I'm really excited to be here. My last 10 years were spent at Meta, working alongside Hamanth, and I hope in terms of what people take away, I really am big on the idea of how people use the products that we're building, and maybe a little less on the nuances of how they're built, you know, whether in terms of like the efficiency of it or the scalability, those are all super important. But I think in today's modern day, there's this opportunity to really capture the usability, you know, and how people interact with what it is that you're building. So in everything that I do, my focus is ultimately there. And I think that's a large role for product management to help support, you know, answering the questions of like, why is this product important? And how are people going to use it? How is it ultimately going to solve their problem? So I'm excited to talk about all of the uh, topics that we have today. And again, thank you all for your time. Excited to be here. All right. Excited to have all three of you here. And then all the people in the audience live here on LinkedIn, we are recording the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast, which is available on every major podcasting app. And you're going to have a chance to have your voice be immortalized on that podcast. So in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we'll have an opportunity for you to raise your hand and ask a question related to product management in an engineering-focused organization. So Hold on to those questions, but get them ready so that you could come up on stage and have your voice be heard for the thousands and thousands of people who will listen to this later on the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. All right. So I need to know, all right, Gabe said, you know, product management, it's about focus on the usability, focus on the customer. And so that's kind of product management seems like it's, we've talked to people across all sorts of industries, all sorts of companies, and it's starting to coalesce around a certain definition. And I'm curious, what about an engineering organization? How do you see whether you're in a more of an engineering-focused organization versus an organization that that may already love its customer, be customer-obsessed, or that may already really value what a product manager does and, and wants to give you all the tools to succeed? So I don't know if I'm asking that right, but I just want to have a better understanding of what the panel here thinks an engineering-focused organization looks like and how to spot if you're in one of those instead of maybe other types of organizations. I'll let anybody come off mute and take that. Who's ready? Yeah, happy to take that, Jeff. So, you know, it, when I when I think of uh, an engineering-focused organization, uh, I like to think in terms of superpowers. I really like this model that Nikhil Singhal has, has shared across uh, LinkedIn and other platforms where you have superpowers and you have shadows to those superpowers. So let me talk about what I think looks like superpowers in an engineering-focused organization. You know, you, you'll know you're in, in one when you find that engineers are thinking about building scalable, secure, and a performant tech stack. That's a big part of the conversations you'll find yourself in when it comes to, say, for instance, designing the architecture for a problem that you're trying to solve or uh, trying to you know, decide on where do we want to take, how do we want to address tech debt? So when, when you find yourself in the middle of a conversation with engineers where a lot of the talk is about scalability, security, performance, latency, then that's sort of one indicator. And you can be rest assured that this team like cares a lot about all of these aspects because ultimately human perspective, right? They don't want to have on calls for just because their service went down. So, you know, ultimately I think engineers care about work-life balance. So that's that's really the human angle to to this as well. The second characteristic that I can think of is you'll also notice that sometimes these teams have very limited processes and mechanisms, and that's really the to help them move fast. Uh, I think, you know, I, I get it from an engineering perspective why that matters. Uh, processes are sometimes not necessarily, you know, seen as value additive. So you will find that, you know, people in engineering-focused organizations are really focused on building stuff, right? They, they want to prototype, they want to take it to market, they want to show, show and tell. And then I think the last aspect could be another superpower. And, and again, all of these are superpowers, right? You ultimately want to be in a team that is building and solving problems. So the last focus would be building and shipping, right? They, they care about getting stuff out the door. So, so that's the third superpower. So to sum it up, huge focus and emphasis on tech stack, 
limited processes and mechanisms and a hyper focus on building and shipping. Very clear. Uh, Sumeya or Gabe, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think like to jump in for a second and kind of reemphasize the shipping part. I think especially within uh, big tech, you're oriented towards getting solutions out the door. And it's really about the speed of which you can do that and removing all obstacles. And within an engineering focused organization, they take that to heart. And that's like, I'd probably put that as like the top of the list uh, that Hamant kind of went through as the biggest thing. It's about, you know, solving problems for enough people on a big enough scale and focusing less on the monetary outcome of the work that you're doing and really think about it in terms of just building better services with the goal ultimately being what you build and the money as the fuel, the financial reward of what it is that you're building as kind of a second priority to what you ship and the pain that you're resolving or the challenges you're resolving for the people that you're building for. So wanted to kind of add that as you know an additional emphasis on what Hamant shared as well. I'm just going to highlight something that, you know, I don't want their confusion about. And that's the fact that these uh, engineering organizations can be inward facing or external facing. So you don't have to be building software that you are selling or someone is buying off the shelf. It can be internal. It could be internal to other engineering teams or other teams uh, within the corporation. Yes, definitely there is costs associated. Yes, there is, you know, corporate profit and loss associated with it. But I'm thinking about some of the mo- the strongest engineering oriented or focused teams I've met. And many of them have been inward facing too. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially what Sumaya made towards the end, because uh, I've noticed this, especially in big tech, is there are initiatives that focus specifically on developer uh, productivity. Although I've not been too close to such initiatives during to my career, I, I do know that engineers care a lot about you know the tools that they have to help them build fast. So absolutely. So now I want to talk about some of the joys of being in an engineering-focused organization. If you're a product manager and you could choose between, you know, maybe a customer-obsessed organization, an engineering-focused organization, what are some of the joys that you get from being in this engineering-focused org? Anybody want to take that, come off mute and chime in? That distinction is one that I'm trying to reconcile a little bit. I don't necessarily see, you know, I don't see as a binary choice between being customer-focused or engineering-focused especially if the structure of the team or the the aspirations, the mission of the team can be technically oriented. For example, a lot of the software I've worked on has been tools for engineers. And the conversations, of course, tend to be extremely technical. When new PMs come on board who don't have more of that technical background, they see right away that some of these conversations they need to go and do a lot of research about afterwards and learning to just understand what are the choices being presented to them. And so what I've seen in some of these journeys for uh, for PMs within this role, in the early days, they might not be, they might not participate in any decisions. They might ask questions, they might listen, and engineering will lead some of the decisions that are typically made by PMs. And then over time, some of that might change, and sometimes it doesn't. So there are multiple teams I've worked with in the past where the PM is just as a, there as a support around launches and is there uh, as a support around coordination with other teams. But engineers really do a lot of the stuff that PMs do in other roles. But then also I've seen PMs <laughs> who are extremely technical, who can actually go you know, deep into the technical conversations who can argue for one type of architecture or one type of tech stack. And so those are very constructive and their role there is a little different than the other ones. 
I think this is true, honestly, for any kind of industry or for many different PM roles. I've seen it happen when people come into the banking world from other industries and they try to participate in conversations without understanding of regulations and and other things. So I don't see it as a unique challenge, really, of this kind of role. And thank you so much for clarifying. I, I'm using my outside view of what I, I would have thought makes some other different types of organizations. Hemant, do you agree with uh, Sumeya's clarification and also any other challenges or any other joys of working within an engineering-focused organization? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Uh, so I do agree that you know the choice does not have to be binary. I think ultimately, both the engineer and the PM and, and most functions are trying to solve for customer problems, but I think the degree to which that customer orientation exists across these functions could be very different. So an approach that I've taken, you know, when I find myself with a new team is try to understand and work backwards from, if I were to think of my engineer as a user, what does that engineer need? And then try to see in my role as a product manager, if I can try to bridge and try to really fulfill those needs. So an example here could be, you know, an engineer may be very familiar with the domain, for example, in let's just take uh, transportation as an example. What they may need ultimately, though, is, you know, how can this functionality or this product that I'm working on, what does that translate to in terms of business impact? And I've seen engineers be extremely hungry to learn more about, you know, how providing purpose for their work and how what they're working on actually impacts customers. And that's where I think product can really step in and provide that insight. So that's, I would say, one of the, the sheer joys is if you can learn more about what your engineer needs and try to bridge that gap, that could be super, super helpful. One thing I'd like to also throw in there is what is the opposite of you know engineering-focused or engineering-led? You typically kind of you know orient towards business-led. And I think there's this you know scenario where Engineering-led, the idea is that if you don't have to focus on, you know, business outcomes or profit maximization or, you know, financial metrics, there's this real opportunity to get closer to the root of the problems for a given user that you're building for. And I think the positive aspects of that is those things, which is, you know, not everybody has the luxury to kind of focus on one Versus the other, certainly big tech might enjoy that ability, especially if you're building for consumer versus maybe having to think about, you know, the way that they monetize the work that they're doing. But I think that's a real big key here is in an engineering led, you know, organization, you can feel a little bit more comfortable that the end user problems are being surfaced. Sometimes the end user is, you need to take into account some of the business objectives for that end user. But depending on who the user is, where they orient, if they're another business or if they're an individual consumer, you can maybe think that there might be an opportunity to think about how technology can create or solve these problems at a, you know, at a scale that otherwise you may not be able to achieve because of you know, maybe some constraints put on top of the work that you're doing. So I wanted to kind of also think about what's the opposite and how to think in terms of what's the positive in relation to maybe alternative organizations that may not lead to you know, that innovation or ability to think big. All right. So Sumeya, my brain was going back to our conversation with uh, Tatiana about a product-led organization. So that's where I thought there was this duality, a product-led organization in her mind, if I recall correctly, was about creating so much value for the customer that they're delighted to pay you for it, which sounds to me a little bit different than an engineering-focused organization, which you were saying, I'm hearing from the panel, is this uh, focus on reliability, scalability, and just on the technology. But it sounds like all three of you are in agreement that an engineering-focused organization could still be focused on that technology serving the needs of uh, their users. Is that right, Samaya? I- yeah, and I think maybe one way to help us reconcile this a little bit is in the nuance around two dimensions. One is the time horizon, and the second one is, you know, at the organizational level. So, for example, if we're talking about a corporation, at the end of the day, 
everything is business oriented. Even the bets that, you know, business leaders take that they think there is only a 20% chance it could win. And if it wins, it's going to be big. Even those have a business oriented outcome behind them. And so let's say they start at the level of the CEO and then by the time they come to a product team, even if there was no outcome that was expected immediately or over the next three months or over the next year, there is still a hypothesis behind it that's business oriented. So I think there is There is sometimes, you know, there are different levels we're talking about, but ultimately, if you are within a business, maybe if you're within an open source community, maybe you can say that's not driving it. But within a business, ultimately, it's always going to be this profit and loss equation that people think about. And they might give you time to think that it's not about that. But ultimately, at some point in time, it's going to come to that. All right. So now I want to get to the challenges of being a product manager within an engineering-focused organization. Himanth, do you have uh, any challenges? And could you share just one challenge and one way that you overcame it? Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I go back to the superpowers that I had mentioned earlier about being in, you know, in an engineering-focused organization. One of them I mentioned was around you know, this heavy emphasis on the tech stack and it being scalable, robust, secure, and performance. So the shadow to the superpower could be that sometimes the business use case, you know, the, the team could lose sight of the business use case that they're trying to solve for. So an example here, this is more of a hypothetical example, I'm happy to share others as well, is let's think about the transportation space. Again, very you know, uh, it's it's an area that I'm really close to. And when you think of your packages, uh, say, that that are being delivered by Amazon, you know, as, a, as an end user, I care about, like, major events. When did the package leave the shipper? When did it arrive at, say, the nearest warehouse? And then when is it out for delivery? So those are the three events that I care about. I don't necessarily want to know, you know, I don't care about live location, of the package from the time it left the shipper. However, when it, you know, when you think of food, you know, if I were to place an order on DoorDash and I'm really hungry, I I care about you know where my food is on its way uh, to my house. So the tech stack that you know one would be thinking about to to solve tracking of packages versus tracking of food could be very different. So you know if you're in a situation where this use case, this nuance is lost then there is a chance that you know you could be building for you could either be over engineering or you know not providing your users with the sort of value that they need so so that's really the shadow of you know heavy emphasis on tech but not enough on, around the business use case and you'll be surprised to know that this happens in the real world and this is kind of where the product manager has to sort of continuously bring that use case uh, front and center as we're thinking of designing solutions Gabe, one challenge, uh, PM, uh, in an engineering-focused organization and, and how you can overcome that challenge. Yeah, I think, you know, the the challenges are kind of into three categories. And it really, you know, settles down on, like, what the core function of a product manager aims to do, which is understanding the why, the who, and the what. And Hamant, like, hit the nail on the head. It's really the inverse of... All the benefits you get with an engineering-led organization from like the last question, you know, what are then the downsides? And the downsides are, as he described, that maybe skewing away from keeping focused on why is it important to build what it is that we're building, who's it for, who's the actual end user, who could be the user of the product in the future, who's the product today, who's the user of the product today, and then what problems are we ultimately solving? I think it's easy to get a little carried away with the technology, you know, maybe some innovations within that tech AI, for example, everybody's kind of throwing AI at all aspects of the software development, you know, process. And it's, you have to take a step back and say, what are we really, you know, why is this important? Who are we building for? And what are we trying to solve? And I think that's probably the biggest, in summary, challenges that you know come with engineering-led is making sure people are 
focused to those three overarching questions. All right. So now we're ready to move on to one last question before audience questions. So audience, if you want to start raising your hand and then you just, uh, I'll pull you up on stage and you could wait patiently for your moment. And I've got my one last question for the panelists here. If you want to work in an engineering focused organization, or at least a very technical organization, what are some things you could do as a current PM to transition to a, a role within an engineering focused organization, or if you're an aspiring PM? So let's start with the current PM first, and then we could uh, pop into the aspiring PM. But if you want to work at an engineering focused organization, what's something you could do now to get yourself ready for it? Sumeya, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I would say get familiar and comfortable with concepts around technology, depending on the kind of solution you want to work with, whether it's an API or, you know, SaaS, get a little more comfortable with what's behind the scenes, what are some of the important points of a scalable architecture of those kinds of solutions. There is a lot of content online around that. I would say talk to engineers as well. Talk to engineers about what challenges they have. And the second part about talking to engineers is grounded in my belief that a lot of the engineering-focused solutions are really being built for engineers at the end of the day, at least the ones that continue having engineering focus for a long while, for a longer time horizon than, let's say, you know, a year or or so. And so understand basically your customer, build affinity and empathy, get go to Stack Overflow, uh, look at some of the challenges they're talking about there, be in the communities that your customer ultimately would be in. But again, this last uh, piece of advice is really based on the bias that a lot of these roles are meant for people whose customers are engineers. Hey, Manth or Gabe, any advice you have for a a current PM, if they want to kind of transition to an, an organization that's more engineering focused, what they could do or should do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, like Sumaya mentioned, uh, the advice around, you know, if, if the products being built are for productivity, developer productivity, you know, having that technical jobs makes sense. And you definitely want to earn that trust. If the problem space is, you know, from Israeli geared towards an end user who's not necessarily an engineer, then it helps as a current PM to speak with engineers and really understand what gaps exist in the way they work today. Something I've found pretty helpful is just knowing what type of you know, recurring meetings they have and recurring processes they have to assess discovery of a problem, how they're tracking against like design and, and how they are executing against a vision. A lot of times in such organizations, they have very limited support. And, you know, as a PM, that's sort of where you bring in that psychological safety, right? I really like Shreyas Doshi's pre-mortem as an example here, where, you know, by having a process that talks about, you know, what you should be worried about in terms of a launch, you know, what if, if something could go wrong and having engineers contribute to that is super helpful and creates that environment of psychological safety. And this is typically done best by a product manager who can, you know, empathize with some of the struggles that these teams face. So, so I do think there's a lot of value in processes, but it's important to manage perception and show the value. Yeah. There's first, what are the typical things you do when you engage with a cross-functional, you know, team member, whether it's edge-led org or edge-focused org or not. And I think it's really understanding the problems that they have, trying to relate to them. And instead of trying to take something out of the relationship, you start to ask the questions to figure out how you can give back. And certainly then the next step is having some ability to speak the language you're going to have to do some homework. You have to understand some core technical concepts. That always goes a long way. If you can't speak how they speak, then there's going to always be something lost in translation. And I think it's it's not being too big or thinking. It's about getting in there and help being helpful, which means, you know, not thinking you're too good to take something on. For instance, let's say there's you know, a particular bug or an issue that they have yet to explore. Can you help them, you know, dig in? Can you maybe review logs or do something that 
takes a little bit off their plate to build that trust and rapport. I'd say it's it's always about how you engage with you know yet another group that might not be on your immediate team to kind of build those relationships. So maybe treat it less in terms of whether it's eng-led or eng-focused or any any other type of organization and think about an individual when you're trying to, trying to build a new relationship, how do you create value, how do you earn their trust, and all of the kind of staples of relationship building, I think, is where I would orient someone. All right. Pausing in case anybody wanted to chime in. And if not, it's time for audience questions. So everybody, if you look down, you could see a button that says... Actually, I don't know what it says for you. I've only been on stage, but I think you have a button that says raise your hand. And if I see you, I'll pull you up on stage and you could be a part of the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. Unfortunately, Red is not here today, so I'm going to do my best. And Sumeya and I are going to try to bring his flair and enthusiasm. And Sumeya, are you going to bring the comedy for us? (laughs) I am incapable of that skill. I mean, you can give me a zero from now. (laughs) (laughs) A zero? Oh, no. Well, are you Red E? <laughs> it just doesn't land right. Yeah. But I am ready. <laughs> okay. It's not the same without red being red E. But again, raise your hand if you're too shy and don't want to get on stage or don't want your voice on the podcast, but you want your question to be answered. You could message me directly or message Sumeya, and we will get uh, Hamanth and Gabe uh, or Sumeya to chime in on that. With that, it's audience question. Our very first person on stage helps CEOs uh, fast-track high-stakes strategies. It doesn't look like you're a current PM, but I'd love to hear what your question is for our product managers about product management in an engineering-focused organization. Susan, how can we help you today? Hi, this is a great group of people. I've From time to time since COVID, I've found you all in different places, and I appreciate the dialogue that you're creating. I'd like to just give you some context. I spent most of my career in engineering organic companies uh, like IBM and Nokia and Siemens, where, um, and the way I knew which was companies were more engineering focused was when they bragged about their patents instead of bragging about the customers they were winning. <laughs> A lot of it had to do with the creation of their product versus the, the result of the product. But what I'd love to understand that you're thinking about is, is risk. How are you encouraging or how do you think the product management needs to think about risk-taking? First, I love that context. So thank you, Susan. Really appreciate you adding value right off the bat here. And then anybody have a follow-up question for Susan or do you want to dive into her question about managing risk? I've stunned the panel. Does that, do I get extra credit for that? It looks like it. You've frozen them in their tracks. <laughs> I think they're waiting on me to call on them. So I'm going to call on okay. Hemant here. Hemant, any, anything you want to add to how you're thinking about risk and how you're doing that within an engineering-focused organization? No, th- thank you, Jeff. And yes, Susan, that was, that was a wonderful question. So thank you for bringing that up. It did, it did stop me in my tracks. <laughs> as far as risk goes, I think ultimately this is something that a product manager should ideally have insight into, especially if they're if they have a good hold on what the business vision is for the company. So this risk eventually will have to trickle down from your R goals into your team's goals and then eventually find its way in the roadmap. So uh, the way I approach this is try to first understand, you know, does it make sense for us to have a certain portion of our roadmap associated with big bets, right? So right. a lot of this is, is you know, whether the company is, has appetite for that. If the company is in a scaling mode, for example, you're really trying to figure out, you know, you, you have your core competency and you're really trying to build upon that. If the company has re- hit maturity in some products and they're trying to innovate, that's sort of where you want to allocate more than about 50% of your time in your roadmap to big bets. So, so I think having that clarity around what the company's vision is and being able to take that and break it down into specific areas that your team can contribute to is key. So yeah, it, it is not a one-size-fits-all answer here. It, it ultimately boils down to the appetite for the team that you're in and also you know, how, they can, you know, how they are positioned to contribute to some of the big bets that the company is thinking about. I'd love to also add on top of that is there's also how much from a you know top-down 
perspective, a company will allow their teams to take risk. And so some of it is in your control. How do you mitigate risk? But there's also like, what's your appetite for risk? Because some of the most innovative things have a higher risk tolerance. And so can you build that from like a senior leader perspective into the company as a whole? And then you as a product manager, either kind of take advantage of that, you know, expanded tolerance while minimizing impact for you, you know, individually or for your team. I think it's kind of a dynamic between where you're at, who you're working for, what ultimately are you going to be on the hook for? And so long as the company is thinking about that at a macro level, I think that's also kind of a factor that would control, you know, your own personal tolerance for risk. All right, Susan, did we get did you get a little help there? Did that uh, answer your question? Yeah, well, I'm intrigued and I, I will be reaching out. I'm, I'm writing a book about how to fast track strategies and your big idea. And one of the things that I'm finding is that the process of, I mean, most strategies and new ideas will fail unless people aren't willing to at least talk about the risks ahead of time and align and communicate to get them addressed. So what I'm tr- intrigued with is how product managers can start being uncomfortable early in their careers. And even, of course, as they become senior executives talking openly about risk, the pros and cons, instead of what happens is, you know, you're in the organization, you see something about to fall apart and nobody wants to talk about it because that's not allowed or because it's too much of a big bet and the whole company's, you know, I've had, I've had environments where executives would say, this has to work. We can't have a plan B. So this is just fascinating to see where you're, where you all think the the role and the responsibility as product managers, as bridge builders in the organizations can be addressed with risk as something that they're really good at talking about in a differentiated way. That's my point of view. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing it. Thanks for joining us today and good luck with your book. We have a whole episode where a couple product managers talked about uh, product management equals risk management, managing the risks of inaction versus uh, different types of action. So uh, maybe go back and check that out too. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us on stage here. And uh, I have a question written here by a graduate of a master's program here at the University of Washington. I'll keep him or her anonymous. But the question is, if you are a PM who has been an engineer in the past or has an engineering background, how do you avoid your own biases and your own knowledge playing a spoil sport? And then how do you avoid that so that you could build for your user? So I was reading that from a long distance here on my screen, but hopefully that all came across. Samaya, do you have a response to that question? Yeah, absolutely. Especially since I've gone through it and I've I've mentored many PMs who have gone through that. I would say the primary thing to lean in on is asking a lot of questions. So even if you know why, even if you know you think you know why they're making the engineers are proposing one choice versus another, don't rely on that. Don't rely on what your experience taught you in that scenario and ask the questions of why are you, why are we choosing this? Why are we doing this? The questions, um, you know, you're interested in asking are, are not, you know, rudimentary. These are ones that are more probing, coming from a place of, again, wanting to understand And they are also around specific points in the conversation. So, for example, when the team is talking about possible solutions, uh, that's a great time to be asking those questions. When the team is trying to decide on which problem to address first, which is even before you get into the solution space, those are the times to be asking questions. And that muscle of asking questions is going to serve you well across the board. It's just, you know, it's probably something you have to uh, flex a little more when you're talking to the engineers or working on the technical solution aspects because you, you assume that your knowledge is good enough for you to get by. But yeah, I would start with that. I'm sure there are other tips. One thing that got triggered on this particular question is earlier in my career, as I was building products, you know, with engineering, I tend to skew to want to kind of be very specific in terms of what should be built and how it should be built. And I think when you're a product manager, you know, you have to actually try to fight that urge to building the solution 
and go back to something I mentioned earlier is like just defining the parameters and giving the space for the team to come up with the actual solution. Your job is not necessarily to build the solution as a product manager. You're trying to create the conditions and environment so that the engineer or designers or whomever's responsible for what is being built can lean on that information to ultimately come up with a solution. I think it's an interesting dynamic there because it's easy as an engineer to want to just kind of govern that. It turns into a little bit more of a uh, micromanagement type of scenario. And so I think that was important to call out for this question is you kind of have to check yourself at the door and say, hey, am I giving them what they need to come up with the solution so they could feel like they're owning it? Or am I kind of putting too much pressure in play and kind of pushing them in a particular direction when, you know, I could see things going a little bit more south when you put a little bit more of that pressure, you have to kind of create an environment for all the good ideas to be surfaced versus you just trying to settle on your own. Himanth, you got something to add to this too? Just one last point around, you know, one thing I try to remind myself to avoid these biases is, you know, constantly focus on the bounds of the problem space that we're working on. Oftentimes, you know, what I've noticed is when we are in these discussions about, say, for example, speed or latency or, you know, volume, it almost seems like we are trying to solve for something that can avoid us trying to having to re-engineer this, you know, a few months down the line. But the downside with that approach is you're not taking into account the bounds of that particular problem space. So if you know for a fact that, you know, you're expecting a certain rate of growth, that's the sort of input that engineers would really appreciate from you versus, you know, trying to be too focused on the technology or the tech stack, which, you know, you, you have enough people trying to think about that. So, so that's where I think the additional value from a product manager comes in from. Okay. Anonymous question asker, if you want to let me know by message uh, whether you have a follow-up question or if you got what you were looking for, let me know. But we appreciate you contributing to this conversation. If anybody else has a question, raise your hand. We've got time for one more. But otherwise, I have a question for the panel here while we wait. My question for you is, do you have a controversial opinion? Sameha knew it was coming. I love this question. But is there any opinion that you think about product management in an engineering-focused organization that may or may not be controversial, that you want to either get reassurance that you're not alone in thinking it or start up a great debate for our last 10 minutes. So any controversial opinions of product management in an engineering-focused organization, come off mute or I will call on you. My thought on this one is not completely formed, but in engineering-focused organizations, you're more likely to have engineers who think the PM is not necessary in their teams. And as I'm saying this out loud, I'm also thinking of all the times this wasn't true. So but I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> I kind of love that. <laughs> I love that perspective. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up, Samaya. And, you know, when, when you did, when you mentioned that, I often sort of also have to ask myself the same question is, you know, I think there's a sense of, hey, do I even belong here? Right. And sometimes that can be like, feel like existential crisis. So I don't know. And in my own experience, I've, I've found that it will feel that way at times, especially if you're in discussions where you're not familiar with the problem space or the technology is being discussed. And in those situations, I found this very difficult, but I try to remind myself that, you know, you're here for a reason. And the most important thing is to embark on that journey to find that reason and be able to, to address and add value. And I feel like talking to engineers one-on-one -on -one can really bring about some insights that you probably don't discover in a, in a team or a group setting. So all that to say, I can relate to that feeling. I've experienced it and, and I still experience it after these many years in product management. And I don't think that will ever go away. The point here being continue to try and understand how to address that with tactics like meeting and speaking with engineers to understand getting feedback from them around value. Controversial? Gabe, do you want to either throw in your own controversial opinion or <laughs> throw down on Himanth and Samea's opinion there? Yeah, I think to add one, we often see a lot of the, you want to call them maybe product management influencers and all the various frameworks or tools or strategies for doing product management work. And I think 
you know, this could be unpopular opinion, but I think there's some thing to be said that you can more often than not overfit those types of tools in the work that you do daily and maybe focus too heavily on some of those things. And I think there is this opportunity to kind of reduce the work of a product manager down to, again, you know, why are we doing this? Who are we building for? And what is the problems for who we're building for? And I think keeping it simple is so critical for a product manager. And that in turn to Sumeya and what Hamant were just saying in in relation to, do I need to exist here within this particular engineering-led organization? I think the you know, it's the keep it simple, silly acronym. The more that you could do that from a product management perspective, I think that leads to, you know, having a strong position in relationship to the engineers that you're supporting and not trying to come in with some kind of fancy framework or fancy way of solving the problem, just reducing it down to the details and having an accumulation of the knowledge of, again, why are we doing this? Who are we building for and what it is that we're solving. So try not to overapply. All right. I think it might be controversial. Maybe not. Maybe I misunderstand Samea, but I thought Samea loves frameworks, not overusing them, but <laughs> loves them. So Samea, do we have a battle here or are we going <laughs> to let this go? <laughs> I guess I do love a framework, but I am not a fan of overusing them or using them in the wrong place. If I was to say one last thing on this topic specifically of you know the and the PM and feeling useful or useless within an engineering focused organization, I would say remember this: you're not there to serve the engineers; you're there to serve the product and the customer. And if you find yourself at, at times thinking, you know, your value is questionable, just think what value are you building for the customer or you're creating within the product that ultimately has two sides, a business benefit for your own organization and the customer benefit. So that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> Frameworks are good. I'm not anti-framework. I'm just anti-maybe thinking about having to kind of, it's like having a hammer for any kind of you know tool need instead of for being the task. right tool for the job. Yeah. Right. right. You don't need right. <laughs> a hammer for that. What's beautiful is that product managers, even if there is some disagreement, can always find the common ground. Beautifully done, Sumeya, finding the common ground. And yes, frameworks have value, but we don't overuse them. So let's get to concluding thoughts here. You know, one or two bullet points that you want to leave the audience with. We have five minutes left, so keep it tight, keep it snappy and as they move on to the next part of their days and in their careers and so on. <laughs> so we'll start with Sumeya. Oh, wow. So <laughs> if I'm going to reduce this wonderful conversation we had to two principles that maybe people have heard again and again, the first one is think about your customer ultimately, whether they're the engineer you're building things for or the you know the business owner you're building things for it doesn't matter i think thinking about your customer ultimately is always going to lead you to the right choice when thinking about solutions and how to build them and what to build them your collaboration with the engineers is extremely important what that collaboration looks like i think you heard a lot of nuance in our conversation today that's really the first point the last point is I think you heard all of us say this, asking questions, understanding, pulling yourself away from trying to decide on the, the solution or getting too deep into the solutions also becomes important, especially if you yourself are an engineer who has become you know, a PM now. Thank you, Sumeya. Gabe, what do you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, thanks, Sumeya, for your thoughts. I guess what I'd leave everyone with is there's a big kind of like a blocker in that you kind of easily put yourself in this spot where you're wondering whether or not you can create value in a product management role. And I think I wanted to kind of throw that out there because I've been on an interesting journey from engineering to sales to product marketing and product management. And I want to say that, again, if you think about the user, you think about you know what it is that you're trying to solve for, that matters. And so don't ever doubt or make yourself believe that you need some 
incredible amount of experience to do this work. I think it's within reach of anyone who has that interest in solving problems for people. And so keep that top of mind that don't let any labels or any kind of nuances with, you know, the various tech companies or that ecosystem kind of scare you away from getting into such a role, because I do think it's accessible for everyone, regardless of your background. And some of the best people may not have engineering experience, or they may not have business experience. Like don't rule yourself out so long as you're really excited about solving problems and collaborating with others to do so. Thank you so much. Hemant, your turn. Yeah. So my thoughts are probably a little more tactical in terms of, you know, how can you thrive in such an organization? And I feel like a couple of points that were mentioned, but to reemphasize those, it's important to earn trust with engineering. And in order to do that, it's absolutely critical to, you know, have some basic understanding of how products are built. So putting in the time and effort to earn this trust will will definitely have returns. And the second is around processes. I mean, sometimes processes do seem like a bad word in, in such organizations. So it's important here to manage perception, right? Why does a certain process exist? Is it to prompt psychological safety? Is it to drive clarity around the product vision? Being able to clearly articulate that, I think, will, will really help uh, product managers thrive in, in such a setting. All right. In conclusion, I want to thank our three product leaders for joining us today. It was really an honor and a pleasure to to learn from you and have you share your perspective with each other, with me and with our audience. I also want to say if you enjoyed this type of conversation, being able to learn from some of the best in product management, but you wanted a, a chance to get your own question answered in a, a bit smaller of a setting, we are launching the brand new program called the Elevate program, where you could elevate your careers and your peers. So it has an options to meet with executives and residents in small group office hours to get the personal support you need. And it includes extended workshops with some uh, amazing product leaders where you could learn how to do better at your job and learn alongside other high-performing product managers who care about a better future for their business, for their customers, for the world, and for themselves. So stay tuned for details about the Elevate program or follow the Product Management Center at UW or UW on LinkedIn. And tune in next week where we're going to talk about the U.S. Digital Core, a chance for you to learn about how the Army, I think, is thinking about product management and, and creates opportunities for you to impact the future of technology in a very meaningful way. Thank you again, Hamant. Thank you, Gabe. And uh, everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>